Church, we're continuing our sermon series entitled uh, Dangerous Prayers. And as we started last week, we're, we're talking about the, the, the prayers that can really stretch you, the, the prayers that a lot of us don't either A, know that we should pray, or B, we're afraid to pray. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says this. It says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. So last week, church, we talked about God making us bold. I asked you all to be praying this the past week that we just got off of, that you go home and you pray, Lord, make me bold. Make me bold in what it is you call me to do. And so the prayer that we're going to be talking about today, I want you to know it's the most difficult prayer that we're going to be talking about this month. It's by far the hardest, for sure. And I want you, I want to warn you this morning. I want to warn you to make sure you understand. I'm telling you right up front, you're not going to like this prayer. You really and truly, you're not going to like it. Many of you, you will probably refuse to even pray it. And it's not a common prayer. It's not one of those feel-good prayers at all. It's not consistent with the fact that God will always make your life better. American Christian theology, it's definitely not that. This prayer, though, church, has the potential It's got mighty potential to open your heart up in such a way that can forever change your life. So last week, we talked about God, make me bold. This week, the prayer is this, Lord, break me. Lord, break me. See, we all want to have the junk out of our lives, right? I can't tell how many people come into my office like, you know, I just want to get all the garbage I got collected in my life. I I want it out of my heart, out of my mind. So we all want to have the junk out of our lives. You know, church, we all want to be closer to God. I hope that's why you're here today, so you can grow closer to him. You know, we all want our lives to be transformed, and we all want to be conformed to the image of Christ like the Bible calls us to, but we really don't feel safe praying that prayer, Lord, break me. Break me. And I understand that. It's a very dangerous prayer to say, God, I want you to break me, but I want you to know, though, church, I want you to know and I want you to understand that you experience massive blessings in your life if you ask God to break you. He will bless you mightily. And so today we're going to look at two different stories in the Bible uh, uh, about this subject right here. And the cool thing is they're side by side. They're, They're right side by side in the Bible. And so we're going to the book of Mark. If you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. This is where the bulk of our text is going to come from today, Mark chapter 14. And so in the book of Mark, there's the the one story that we're going to look at first. And this story deals with a prostitute. And I want you today to really try to get in in the mind, as we're talking about this woman, get in the mind of this lady and, and what it was like to be her and what it felt like to be her. You know, nobody in the first century wanted to be a prostitute. They, 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 nobody wanted that. There, there wasn't anyone saying, you know, man, by the time I'm 21, I want to be in the top 10% of wage earners and prostitution. Nobody was saying that. See, if you were a prostitute in the first century, it's because your life, in your life, you've been dealt a really hard set of cards. You've been dealt something really hard. It's a bad hand. See, maybe you felt that there was no other way to live but this. And see, it's because... Here's how they were looked at. Prostitutes, church, they were despised. They absolutely were despised and they were full of shame. And so who knows? Who knows what led this woman into this lifestyle? 
Maybe, and we don't know, the Bible doesn't say, maybe she was a single mom, there was no social services back then, nobody could go on food stamps, nobody could get any kind of welfare or hand up, right? There was none of that kind of stuff. And maybe she couldn't pay the bills and feed her children, so she resorted to this. Maybe she was abused by men her whole life, and she knew nothing else but that. But I promise you this, church, she was hated by every woman and she was used by many men. She was full of shame. But one day, and this story goes, right, one day she met a man who would treat her differently. She met a man who would completely treat her differently than any other man. Maybe this was the first time in her life that she ever saw anything or heard anything good from a man. Man, this guy, he showed her honor, church. He showed her honor, he showed her respect, he treated her with dignity, and he loved her appropriately. And so what it did is it transformed this woman. It transformed her very life, and she wanted to worship him in one of the most sacrificial ways that you could imagine, especially at this time. And her extravagant act of worship completely confused everyone around her. So if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 3, right? It says, while he was in Bethany, Jesus, this is meaning, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, I'm going to stop right there for a minute. I just want to give you a quick side note here, something that's very extra. I ain't going to charge you nothing for it. It says that he was reclining at the table of Simon the leper, and that is huge, church. That's huge because if you don't know anything, during this time in the first century, this guy had leprosy. And it was a horrible disease where your skin and appendages would just literally fall off your body and everybody steered clear of these people, right? If you were walking down the street, you were supposed to announce that you were coming and the crowd would just part ways while you get there. You couldn't hug anyone, love on your family. You were pushed away, right? And so the Bible says that Jesus is reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. That's a really big deal. Then it goes on to say this. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So think about this. So here we go, right? So we got the rabbi, Jesus. We got the leper and we got the prostitute. That's, that's the beginning of a really stupid joke, right? <laughs> got the rabbi, the prostitute, the, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Might have went over your head, but so... <sighs> So think about this for a minute. So they're in this house, and the disciples are in there too. Jesus, the disciples, Simon the leper, this woman comes in, and she has this very expensive perfume. And so this perfume was so expensive, church. It was so expensive, it was very rare. And we find out later in the Gospels that it was so valuable that this, this perfume was worth over a year's worth of wages, now, see, back then, perfume was something, perfume, cologne, it was almost unheard of, right? So it was very expensive. It's not like for uh, those who are in that era, high karate, maybe you remember that. That's before my time and cheap, right? My time was that Brute 66, half gallon of it for $2, you know, last year, years, right? No, this stuff was very, very expensive. It was hard to come by. And see, ordinary women in the first century, they did not wear perfume. Ordinary women did not wear perfume, number one, because they couldn't afford it, and because the people that actually wore perfume were prostitutes only. Prostitutes were the only one who wore perfume. It was kind of their calling card. 
So they would invest heavy in this perfume because that's the way they made their money, right? They would invest heavy in this perfume and they would put it on and they would go walking out in public, right? Some guy would walk by and smell like, ooh, you're available. <laughs> it was their calling card. You know, I, I get it. I'm sending you a message. You're available. You know, you're open for business. See, this was very expensive. It was a year's worth of wages and it was a source for her to draw in her income and her business. So it was a very expensive perfume. Check out there again. So the woman came in with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured out the perfume on his head. I want you to get that this morning, church. Broke and poured. Get that this morning. Broke and poured. You know, people that were with her were kind of like, oh, what are you doing? You know, don't do that. That's very expensive. You know, imagine yourself being there, and this is a year's worth of wages, and, and you're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is important. How about you give him a drop? No, you know what? It's Jesus. Give him two drops. Then we'll sell the rest. We'll raise money for the poor. We'll split the finances, right? You, you, people thought that this was crazy, that this woman was doing this in, in such a way because it was so valuable. And you know what? Maybe we would think of the same way. But the Bible makes it clear, church, this was an extreme act of worship. It was extravagant. She basically was saying, Lord, I'm giving you my whole life. I'm giving you everything that I have. I'm giving you the most important thing I have. Not only am I giving you the most important thing that I have, Lord, I'm giving you my past because I'm no longer in that anymore. And Lord, I'm also giving you my future because I don't know how I'm going to make any money anymore because I'm no longer in that, right? And so other words, she's saying, I'm leaving my past life behind me. I'm leaving it behind me. And I'm giving you my future source of income, Lord, my life savings away. She's kind of like, Jesus, you have loved me so that I will break open my most valuable possession that I have. And it represents my life. That's how she was looking at it. That I will break it and I will pour it. I will break it and I will pour it out. See, this is the most extravagant, selfless expression of worship. Broken and poured, church. Broken and poured. I want you to get that this morning. So that's the first story, right? The second story is a little bit further down. So here it is. Jesus is having his last meal. We know this story very well, right? It's the Last Supper. He's assembled in the upper room with all of his dudes. All the disciples are up there with him, the most important people to him. And he's having the last meal. And so he's gathered his closest friends because he knew what was coming, by the way. Nothing surprised him that he was going to give his life on the cross and here's how Mark tells the story. Same chapter, Mark chapter 14, verse 22. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, this is my body. Verse 23 and 24 says this. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. So my body is broken for you, and my blood will be poured out for you, is what Jesus is saying. Right? And the lady before him, my jar is broken in an act of worship, and it will be poured out because I'm giving you everything broken and poured. Broken and poured. 
And Luke reports the same thing on this story, right? Luke was there at the table with Mark and with Jesus and all that. They were all there at the table. And his story is almost the same, uh, told in the same way. But he picked up on something that Mark didn't write. And I want to explain the accounts. This is another side note for you real quick. I've heard people say, well, you know, the Bible, it, it contradicts itself because you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all say different stuff. I promise you right now, if I gave five of you a piece of paper and said, you write down exactly what you saw and heard here at church, you would all have the same premise, but you would have fine details a little bit different. So that's what's going on here. And here's what Luke says in Luke chapter 22, verse 9. And it says, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So what is this? So most of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we would agree, you know, we gather together, right, and we take the Lord's Supper. You know, we, we, we take the bread and we take the juice and we take that in remembrance of him. That's how you better be taking it at least, right? And we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by doing this. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And all scholars will agree that refers to celebrating the communion of the Lord's Supper. But there are some biblical scholars who would say, do this means way more than just that. Are you following me? When he says do this, it's a lot more than just the taking of communion, right? It, it means more than that. It, Jesus says do this, but what does it mean? It means to celebrate and to remember. But Jesus is also saying, I believe, that he himself was personally broken and he was poured out. And that we should do that too. That we should do that too. Not only just as a ritual, right? Now, don't let it be that, but also as we live. Church, you know that God has called us. He's called us out not only to live as Jesus lived, but he has also called us to love like Jesus loved, didn't he? He's called us to that. And so we are to die to ourselves daily. I want to explain it to you in case you don't get that church ease right there, right? That Christian ease. You are to die to yourself daily. It means like, I want to do this. I know it's not right. So I'm going to die to myself. I'm not going to let that happen anymore. Church, you are to die to yourself daily. The things you want, the things that are sinful, the things that are of your, of your flesh, you are to put that aside and die to yourself saying, no, I'm no longer going to live like that. I no longer want to do that. Lord, I want to serve you. I want to live my life for you. And we die to ourselves daily so that we can live for his glory. That's what we're called to. So when a gospel says, do this, what if perhaps this morning, church, that it was saying, don't just do an act to remember, but I also want you to be broken. I also want you to be poured out in such a way, even Paul, church, Paul said this in 2 Timothy. I love how Paul says this in 2 Timothy Chapter four, verse six, he says this. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. What Paul's saying there is he's saying he poured his life out, meaning I lived for him. I did what he called me to do. I gave him my all. I, I sacrificed to do what it is that God had called me to do. That's what Paul was saying there. Church, we're talking about broken and poured. Broken and poured. Listen, if you ask God, I want you to know this morning, if you ask God to break you, he will. He will. He will break you. And if you pray, if you pray like, 
God, break me. You better believe it's going to happen. But you be prepared. You know, when we were growing up, my mom participated in something that some of you ladies might remember in the 70s and 80s. She went to something called ceramics class, right, where you would go, and, and I, I suspect that you probably did more than just make ceramics there. You probably talked a lot while you were sitting there with your friends. So my mom would go to ceramics class, and she would make these things, and, you know, Christmas trees, the decorated Christmas. And she had this one thing she made in ceramics class. It was like this basket, and it might have been her favorite thing. I don't know, but I remember it sat in the middle of the kitchen table there, and she would put stuff in this basket. Had a nice little handle on it and everything like that. Well, one day, me and my brother, um, we were at home, and my parents were at work, and my parents would leave my older brother in charge, which was mistake number one, because he wasn't mature enough, really. And my mom already knows this, so I'm not confessing this morning. I did it a long time ago. Honestly, anything went at the Blakely house as long as it was cleaned up before they got home and you didn't rat your siblings out because that means you were in trouble too. <clears throat> so there were brownies on the table. I don't remember who made them, but you know, when you cut brownies, there's always that one piece that's a lot bigger than the other ones. And me and my younger brother, we used to have food fights. We didn't fight over food. We fought because of food. We weren't hungry, but we were usually fighting over sugar stuff. All right, we both had issues with sugar. And so we had these brownies there, and I remember I stayed claim to that biggest brownie in that pan, and my brother, he was one of those kind of all-in people. He was like, if I don't get it, nobody get nothing. And he picked up that tray of brownies, and he got ready to wing it across, out the door, out the back door, hit my mom's ceramic basket. The handle broke off the basket, and the brownies went flying. Nobody got any brownies. The ducks were out there eating them, actually. And so here we are. We're in a predicament. So we have my mom's ceramic basket, and so we get some glue that my dad probably bought in 65. It was probably Vietnam surplus or something. And, and, and we try to fix this basket, and then, you know, of course, the, the glue is dripping. We, we didn't want her to know. We broke it. The glue is dripping, so you get a paper towel, and you try to wipe it off, and then this paper towel residue sticks to it. And so we're thinking, you know, let's hope that she doesn't find out. But in that basket, we thought it was fixed. But listen, church, it looked different. Now, I'm not going to tell you the end of the story because I want you to love my mom like I do. <laughs> we deserved it, whatever we got, I don't remember. But listen, when that basket was put back together, church, it was different. It wasn't the way that it was when we broke it. Think about that for a minute. So we put that back. We put that back together. Do you realize, church, when God breaks you, when God breaks you and he puts you back together, you do not look exactly the same as you did before. There's a resemblance. The basket kind of looks the same, but it's different. Your life kind of looks the same, but it's different. You might look the same on the outside, but people's going to look at you and say, man, there's something different about you. When God breaks you and puts you back together, church, you are called to be different. And that's for all of us. We resemble who we were before. We might look the same, but you are actually different. You know, 10 years ago in the ministry, I had about four or five years under my belt being in the ministry here at Wellsville First Christian Church. And, you know, I was still on my honeymoon period, and it was great. It's still good now. I mean, there's no problems. I'm still kind of on the honeymoon period, 15 years in. And the church was doing well. But, but there was a tragedy that kind of happened in the church. There was a family who... Um, their, their son got sick. He had cancer. His name was Noah Long. 
And it, it was really hard, and, and I'd been through that before. I had a, a nephew, Scotty Blakely, who died at three years old from brain cancer and a tumor. And, and I, I'd been through that, but I'd never been through that as the leader. And so I remember we decided, you know, I remember somewhere through that battle, I don't know exactly when it happened or how it happened, we decided we were going to do a Sunday evening prayer vigil for, for Noah Long and for his family, and I'd never been through that thing as a leader. I want you to know that. But I remember that night, we all gathered, and we were worshiping, and we were praying hard, and then Dave and Katie Long comes forward, and they came forward, and I saw them come forward, and of course, they're crying, man. It was hard. And I remember seeing him, I'm that guy, if you throw up, I'm going to throw up. If I see it happen, it's going to happen. If I see you crying, I'm going to start crying. So if I ever do your wedding, don't you dare stand there and cry because I will start crying and I'm the one who looks dumb because I'm doing all the talking. So you keep it together. <laughs> but they come forward and they begin crying and then I start crying. And I'm breaking down and I'm like supposed to be leading this prayer thing. And, and I couldn't contain myself, and I couldn't hold it together. And, and listen, we were all broken. The church was broken. We were all praying for them. And, and before you knew it, as I'm standing there, I'm like, I can't say anything because the more I talk, the more I'm going to cry. And something, I want you to know, church, something happened that night. Because as Dave and Katie were standing up front, all of a sudden, people started coming forward. They started surrounding them. People started standing in the gap, and they started praying out loud for them because I couldn't contain myself. They couldn't pray either, and they started praying for them and giving it all up to God and leaning on him for strength. And I want you to know, church, on that night, something happened. That crowd became the church. It did. And it was amazing to me. For real, that crowd literally became the church. I saw it happen. The crowd became the church, and we became one. Something was different. Something was different at that point. And I have said this before, church. I have. I've said this before. People are impressed with your strength. People always say, like, oh, preacher, I don't know how you do all them funerals. That's got to be hard. And, you know, you, you have to be strong for the families that you're helping. You know, by the way, I don't have a funeral day. For those of you who are wondering why I'm wearing a suit, I felt pretty today. That's all. <laughs> I'm kidding. I have a wedding. But anyways, people are impressed with your strength. They really are. People are impressed with your strength. And people sit there and they stand amazed at someone, how strong they are. But listen, do you understand something? We connect deeply through our brokenness. We really do. We connect very deeply with our brokenness. We might impress people with our strengths. But here's what happens is you connect deeply in your brokenness. People will look at you and say, man, it's so cool how strong you are. But if you're good at this or you're excelling in that area, right, let's be honest with each other, right? You, you know someone who's good at something. And often because they're good at it, we don't like them. <laughs> you know it's true. It ain't just the preacher, right? You know there's somebody who's really good. It's something you're like, yeah, I hate them. Why? Well, because they're so perfect, right? They're, they're so perfect, you know. And, and they walk around, they never have a problem. There's no issues in their life. I just can't stand them. And, and then suddenly they have a problem. You're like, oh, I kind of like them, right? I kind of like them. They kind of suffer like I do, you know. They, they're insecure like I am. And so oh, I really like them now, right? We, we, we impress people. We impress with people's strengths. I want you to know we connect through their brokenness. 
Dr. Henry Cloud, I don't know if any of you know him. He's an author. He's got some really good books out there. He's also a, a psychologist. And he said this. I liked what he said. I just read this. He said, I'm really convinced that God made tear ducts in the eyes for a reason. Of course God did. God made everything for a specific reason. But think about it. It makes sense. Tears could have came out of anywhere on your body. Could have came out of your ears. Could have came out of your nose. You know, any of that kind of stuff. They come out of your nose. No one's going to know you're crying. It's just, you got to blow your nose, whatever it might be. So, but God chose the eyes. And this makes sense to me. I can't prove it. Neither can Henry Cloud. Henry Cloud says this. Tears come out of our eyes. And he says, he can't prove it. But God designed our tears to come out of our eyes because you were designed by God that you were to have to have someone looking you in the eye while you were hurting so that you could feel their love. Church, that hit me. I like that. Maybe God in his infinite wisdom allows us to cry so someone can connect with us and show us their love as we look each other in the eye while we're breaking. You know, my best friend, We've done a lot of projects together in life. Seriously, we, we've done a lot of projects together in life. We've worked together. We've played together. I mean, we have argued and disagreed a lot together. We really have. And there's even been times where we cried together, where, where we weeped together. And I want you to know, church, I've learned something. I've learned something from this friendship. I've learned about strengths, and I've learned about weaknesses. You know, I've never been closer to God than I am in my life right now. We're, continue, we're called to continue to grow. Right now where I stand in my life, this is the closest I've ever been to God in my life. That's the natural progression of it if you're working out your Christianity, right? It is because we impress people with our strengths, but we connect deeply through our weaknesses. And we have a hard time, church, praying for God to break us, don't we? We have a very difficult time asking God to break us because we don't want to go through things, do we? You know, like I told you about my friend, I, I love my friend, and there's some things I wish we never went through together. It created a bond in us, though. And we don't like to pray this prayer because we don't want to go through something hard in our lives, because listen, if you pray this prayer, Lord, break me, guess what? He might break you of some habits. Those hurt, don't they? When he breaks you of a habit, that hurts. He might break you of some relationships that are not good from you. So I'm talking about some relationships that's keeping you at a distance from your heavenly father. He might break those relationships from you. He might break you of some of your thought processes. You know, some of you guys got stinking thinking. You are thinking wrong all the time. He might break you of your thought processes, meaning you shouldn't be thinking like that. He will break you of your sinfulness. Church, he will break you in ways that you never thought that you could be broken. But some of you won't pray this prayer because of what you might have to go through. But there is the fact. It's a fact, church. When we pray that prayer, it isn't one breaking. It's an ongoing breaking. God doesn't just break you once and then, I'm good for life, he broke me. No, that's not how it works. He wants to break us, number one, so you would depend on him daily. He wants to break you so you'll depend on him. He wants you to be broken so that you can and you will depend on him. And I want you all to come to the realization of something today. I want you to come to this realization. Life's greatest breakings 
often leads to God's greatest blessings. I'm talking about where he broke you of something horrific in your life, whatever that might be for you, that he is going to take you and bless you immensely from how he broke you. Look at the people in the Bible, right? Peter, man, he was the dude that made the statement, Jesus, I will never deny you. Uh, never say never, right? The Bible says on the third time, right? he denied him three times, three different times in the Bible. And on the third times, I can't even fathom this as I think heavily about it. And on the third time, as he denied Jesus, the Bible says that he and Jesus' eyes met. So can you imagine when Jesus said you were going to do it? Like, oh, I promise you, Lord, I will never do that to you. I'll die with you. And all of a sudden, you're saying, I don't know him. And he, Jesus is staring you straight in the eye. Can't even fathom the responsibility that comes from that. But the Bible says after he denied him on the third time, the Bible says, and Peter broke. He was broken. Peter, after Jesus was resurrected, Jesus picked him to be the headliner. I'm talking about the main speaker at Pentecost. That's a pretty big gig, by the way. And 3,000 people were saved that day because Peter was being used. And you know why he's being used? Because he was broken. Because God broke him. See, often those who God uses the greatest, often those are the ones who have been broken the deepest. It's wild how God works. God will never waste a hurt, church. He will never waste a hurt. So some of you, I know you never want to be broken. Some of you, you're sitting here today, you could probably preach this better than me right now because, I mean, you are being broken in a mighty way right now as we speak. And some of you, listen to me, in the near future, you will be broken. You will be broken. This is the way it works. Everything around you will be crumbling. It's going to happen, church. You may be tempted to fight to keep it together. Isn't it wild how we react to things? things that are no good for us and God's trying to break you and you are fighting with everything in you to hold that thing together and God's like, man, this is no good for you. Why are you fighting me? Why are you doing this? And see, everything around you will crumble. You'll be tempted to fight. And I want you to say this. I want you to get this this morning. I want to say this to you. Go ahead. You fall on that rock and you break, church, because God's going to do something with it. All you got to do is you got to just say it. You know what? Like, I need God. I need his people. I, I need more of his people. I need to be surrounded by his people, right? I need his Holy Spirit. You know, I don't care what anyone thinks. I just need you, God. And when you get to that moment, when you get to that very moment in your life, you will, and you will get there, by the way, if you ask him, because life guarantees it. You can either run to God or you can run away from God. And unfortunately, many of you right now, you're running from him. You're running from him. I'm talking about you're running marathons. God, God's like, man, I want you to fully depend on me. I want you to fully depend on me. I want to bless you, but I can't bless you fully until you're broken. Church, this is not advanced Christianity. It's really not. It's not advanced Christianity. It's the basics. You know, it's a, this, I, I'm coming to Jesus, right? I, I'm coming to Jesus. Break my body. Break me of my sin. You know, just break me of me. It's that thought process. I just want to honor God. I want to honor you, Jesus, with my life. I want to surrender to you. The gospel, church, is an invitation for you to come and die, to die to yourself and your sinful nature, to die to yourself 
so that Jesus can live through you. That's what it is. And when the sinful woman, when that sinful woman broke open the jar, listen, she was broken for him and she was giving it all up for Jesus Christ. Church, when Jesus was broken and he spilled his blood, you realize he was broken for you and for me. As I asked the praise team to come up here, I want to share one last verse with you this morning. And this verse comes from Corinthians chapter 11. So church, in Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 25, it says this to us. And I'm going to read to you from the King James Version, right? It says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup, which he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Church, this is not just referred to a ritual. This is about us being broken. It's about us being broken and poured out. Church, it's about us letting our lives be broken and poured out so we can serve Jesus Christ with the life that he has given us. I want you to know at Wellsville First Christian Church, our mission is this, to lead to people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is our mission at Wellsville. It ain't no club here. It's not about the carpet. It's not about the walls. It's not about programs. It's about becoming fully devoted followers. And our mission statement is this, right? Living by faith in God sharing the love of Jesus and being a voice of hope. That is our statement here. And listen, the reality is this. There's a lot of us who are sitting here today, we're not fully devoted. We're just partially devoted. We're like Sunday devoted. You know, you're not all in. You're not not fully devoted. You're partially devoted. And if you think this morning that you're sitting here and you're like, man, that is me. I am partially devoted. I want you to consider this morning praying that dangerous prayer. You pray it. God, break me. Break me. So I can become fully dependent on you. Lord, do whatever it takes. You want to talk about a dangerous prayer? (laughs) Lord, you do whatever it takes for me. I want to know you intimately. Lord, I want you to break me so that I can know you. So this morning, I want to ask you, church, as you're sitting here, what is it that God needs to break you of? What is it in your life that God needs to break you of? We're all here. We all struggle, right? The Bible says all of us fall short of the glory of God. So you've got something in your life that God needs to break you of. Maybe the question you need is this. What does he need to break you? What does he need to do in your life this morning to break you? Church, if you're sitting here this morning and you've never prayed that prayer, I'm talking ever in your life, if you are standing outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, I mean, you're dabbling, you're, you're partially in, you say, I go to church. There's a big difference between going to church and being fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you're partially in and you're sitting there saying, you know what, I don't want to be partial anymore. I want to be full. I want to be full in. I want to be all in. If that's for you, I want to encourage you, come forward. You ask God to break you.
See, he will, he will break you. He will pour out all the things that you don't need in your life. And he will put you back together as a masterpiece. You will not be the same. You will be different. You will talk different. You will think different. You will act different. And the world outside is not going to understand it. But you will. Because you know that you are now fully devoted to the one true king. If that's for you this morning, I want to encourage you to come forward. Let someone pray with you. And for the rest of you believers who are sitting here this morning, I want to ask you, you have something in your life still. You're holding on to it that God needs to break you of. I mean, you can be saved, but you're still holding on to some stuff that God wants to break you of those things. So whatever it is, I encourage you this morning, you pray, Lord, break me. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. But I want to encourage you to respond this morning.